Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D, and today I'll be covering the case of Dulcia Miha in Miami, Florida. Let's get right to it. In September of 2004, Dulcia Miha, known to her friends and family as Titi, had just begun her sophomore year at Miami Beach High School. Her parents had emigrated from Honduras in the 1980s, but Dulcia was born and raised in the United States. Eventually, according to police reports, her parents split. Her father left the U.S. and was living back in Honduras. But Dulcia, her mom, and much of her extended family remained in Miami. Her mom moved on and remarried when Dulcia was about 10 years old. By 2004, Dulcia, her mom, her stepfather Raul Mata, and her little dog Rocco were living in a mobile home community known as Colonial Acres there in Miami. According to family members who spoke to the Miami Herald, Dulcia attended school, worked at her cousin's business, and loved taking Rocco on walks around the neighborhood. Sunday, September 12, 2004, was a very important day for Dulcia. You see, it was her 16th birthday. Her mother took her out for ice cream, and that was just a small celebration. What Dulcia didn't know is that her mother was planning a surprise party for her the next day. Dulcia spent the night at her auntie's house, and the following day she went to school and then work. Her stepfather picked her up and took her to her auntie's, where everyone was waiting to surprise her. There was food, cake, balloons, and plenty of family photos, and Dulcia was definitely surprised and happy to be surrounded with her family. At the time, no one could have known that five days later, 16-year-old Dulcia's life would end brutally inside her own home, where she should have been safe. On the morning of Friday, September 17, 2004, a frantic 911 call came in just after 9 a.m. On the line was her stepfather, Raul Mata. He stated, we need someone to come here. My daughter, my daughter, somebody killed my daughter. Mata attempted CPR as officers made their way to the scene. A few moments later, officers from the Miami-Dade Police Department arrived at the home in Colonial Acres, where they found 16-year-old Dilcia deceased in her bedroom. She was lying on the bed, covered in blood. Her throat had been slashed. While the scene in Dulcia's bedroom was gruesome, as officers made their way through the house, they noted that there was no sign of forced entry, it appeared nothing had been taken, and the rest of the house remained undisturbed. It seemed to be a targeted attack, but who would have wanted to hurt Dulcia and why? Hoping to get answers, investigators sat down with her stepfather, Raul Mata. He was the last one to leave the house that morning and had been the one to find her body. Raul, of course, came in voluntarily and walked detectives through not only finding Dulcia, but the week preceding the murder. 
As it turned out, Raul thought that an incident that happened at school that week could have played a role in what happened to her. As he spoke with investigators, he told them it had all started the Tuesday prior to the murder, September 14th, a day which started like any other. Dulcia's mother left for work and he took Dulcia to school as he always did. He then drove to his mother's house because he had family visiting from El Salvador. At some point that day, he arrived back at home. And when he did, there was a voicemail waiting for him on the answering machine. Y'all remember those, right? Anyhow, the message was from the school principal informing the Matas that Dilcia had been involved in a fight at school with two other girls, and they were all being suspended. The principal went on to say that he needed to meet with all the parents in order to get the suspension reduced. Raul decided it would be best to wait for his wife to get home that evening rather than to disturb her at work. Later that afternoon, Dilcia's mother picked her up from school and once they got back home, Raul told his wife about the voicemail left by the principal and suggested she should go to the school and speak with him. They talked about her work schedule and when she could make it to the school to speak with the principal to get this all worked out. Together, they spoke with Dilcia and she admitted that she had been in a fight and that she had a mark on her left arm from the altercation. Dilcia also told her mom that her cell phone had been taken away at school, the battery removed after she got caught talking in class. As you can imagine, her mother was very upset because of the fight and the fact that her cell phone had been taken away. She grounded Dilcia. There would be no more hanging out with friends and she would have to stay at her auntie's house when her mom or Raul wouldn't be home to watch her. In addition, Raul said he had concerns for Dilcia's safety due to the fight, so staying at her auntie's house would keep her out of trouble and safe. The next day, Dilcia's mother spoke with the school principal and all of the girls involved in the fight apologized and were warned that if there were any more altercations, they would all be expelled. The following day, Thursday, September 16th, was another typical morning. Dilcia's mother went to work and Raul went to class. You see, at the time, Raul was in school to be a nurse. Dilcia's mother's birthday was just the day before, so after class at around 11 a.m., Raul went shopping and then came home and cleaned up the house. Between 4 and 5 p.m., Dilcia and her mother returned home, and they all went to dinner as a family. They had a great time, and everyone was laughing and joking. There was no mention of the fight, and Dilcia seemed to be happy. Raul told detectives that the following day, there was a meeting scheduled in the afternoon with Dilcia, her mother, and the school counselor, in which Dilcia wanted to discuss something important with her mom. Raul thought the meeting had to do with something inappropriate Dilcia had written for a school assignment, but his wife had informed him that it wasn't only that, but Dilcia had expressed to her counselor that she didn't like him and she wanted to tell her mom her true feelings about Raul with the counselor present. At that point, he told his wife that he needed to be present at that meeting and made arrangements to be there. After dinner, there was a trip to Walgreens to pick up a prescription for Dilcia's mother and then they all returned home together. Dilcia walked the dog and then hung out in the living room watching TV. Raul called his supervisor to let her know that he may be late for work due to the meeting at the school scheduled for 2 p.m. He called his mother between 9 and 10 p.m. and made plans for breakfast the following morning. 
At 11 p.m., Dilsia's mother told her goodnight while she was still in the living room watching TV. Raul Mata and his wife then went to bed, but laid there for some time talking about the next day's plans, the fight that had occurred at school, and how he felt he needed to be at that meeting. As he spoke with detectives, he seemed confused about what the actual plan was going to be that day, first stating he was going to pick Dilsia up from the house around 1245 and then go pick up his wife, and then he was going to take Dilcia somewhere to eat. And then he stated, quote, I don't know what I was going to do. Maybe just go to the school and wait for them. He then told detectives that it was actually the school's plan for him to be present at the meeting the next day, and that he didn't know why Dilcia would have negative feelings towards him. At that point, he began walking detectives through the day of the murder, Friday, September 17, 2004. He claimed that between 5.30 and 5.45, Dilcia's mother woke up and started getting ready for work, and at that time he got out of bed too. It was then that he noticed that Dilcia's bedroom door was closed, locked, and there was no light on. He then stated, I wouldn't allow my daughter to keep her door locked. You see, according to Raumata, Dilcia always locked her bedroom door at night, and apparently he didn't understand why her mother would allow that. Anyhow, Raul then went back to bed, turned on the TV, and clicked through the channels, but didn't find anything to watch. He dozed off for a short time, but then awoke just before his alarm was set to go off at 6.30. He took a quick shower and got ready for the day. At approximately 7.30 a.m., he left the home, locking one of the doors behind him. Let's talk about that door for just a hot minute. There was a screen door and then a front door. Like a lot of front doors, this one had a deadbolt that required a key both from the inside and the outside. Dilcia didn't have a key to the deadbolt, so when Raul left that morning, he claimed he only locked the lock on the actual doorknob, a lock that he claimed was easy to push open. At first, Raul told detectives that the reason Dilcia's mom didn't want her to have a key was because she didn't trust her. But a few moments later, it seemed he was the one who made the decision that Dilcia shouldn't have a key. He stated, the cousins feel it was my fault for not giving Titi a key. I took her rights away by not giving her a key. Again, Titi was Dilcia's nickname. After he locked the bottom lock on the door, Raul left to go to his mother's home for that breakfast. He made two phone calls once he was on the road one to his wife, in which he told her that Dilcia was asleep, he had not locked the deadbolt, and also that he would be picking Dilcia up at 1 p.m. for that meeting at the school. He then called his mother and let her know he was on the way. He got to his mom's, went inside for a short time, and then he, his sister, her two children, and his mother left. They made a quick stop at another relative's house, and once they got back in the car, they were discussing where they wanted to go for breakfast when Raul realized he forgot his camera. He wanted to be able to take pictures that day, so he drove back to the house to get the camera. About an hour and a half had passed since he had left to go pick up his mom and sister when they arrived back at the home he shared with Dilcia and her mom. He got out and so did everyone else. He invited them all to come inside since his sister had never been to his house before. But as they got up to the house, he noticed that the front door was open about two inches. 
Once inside, he noticed that Dilcia's bedroom door was slightly open and the light was on. It appeared she was still laying in her bed and that wasn't like her. So he called out to her. She didn't respond. He went into the bedroom and that's when he noticed blood on the headboard. He rushed over to Dilcia. He stated, I was already shaking. I was afraid. I don't know if I can explain the feeling, tension, fear, like you don't want to know. He checked for a pulse and breathing, but there was none, so he began CPR and at the same time took the phone from his pocket to call 911. His mother walked into the room. He told her to keep the kids out. According to Raul, as he was talking to the operator and performing CPR at the same time, the operator asked him to give the phone to someone else. He went to give the phone to his mother, but as he did, he claimed he fell into the dresser at the foot of the bed. Raul Mata said, My legs were weak and I fell against the drawer. This fall into the dresser left Raul Mata with some serious scratches and bruises to his left forearm and inner bicep, but also his right thumb, which showed, quote, signs of swelling. The injuries were pretty severe. I mean, he must have really yeeted himself into that dresser. But somehow his mother, who he was passing the phone to, never saw this fall into the dresser. He did eventually pass the phone off to her and continued CPR until police arrived. At this point in the interview, Raul Mata agreed to take a polygraph. And when it came to the question, did you kill Titi? According to the examiner, Mata exhibited strong deception when he answered no. And that's when things took quite a turn. Detectives pressed him further about the injuries because they sure didn't seem like they came from a fall into a dresser. But Mata was adamant that's what happened. He was asked about his knowledge of any of the boys Dilcia had dated and eventually confessed to detectives that there had been a time he had caught a boy in Dilcia's bedroom and that not only had he not told his wife, he had held this over Dilcia's head and essentially blackmailed her with it. He denied knowing what Dulcia was going to disclose in the meeting with the school counselor about him. And then he was confronted with something else. You see, when Dulcia had been found, not only had her throat been cut, but according to police reports, the letters H and O had been superficially carved into her chest. A fact Raul Mata claimed he didn't know, though he was the one who had given her CPR and a fact that at first may have pointed police in the direction of the girls she had the altercation with at school, since using the street slang for ho seems so juvenile. But what Raul Mata didn't know as he sat there and continually denied any involvement in Dilcia's murder was that detectives had already spoke to many of Dilcia's friends as well as the school counselor, and what they had to say had all fingers pointing squarely in his direction. As he sat there in that interrogation room and detectives turned up the heat about what Dilcia had disclosed to her school counselor as well as her friends, he exclaimed, She's a liar. Detectives continued to press him and he continued to claim Dilcia was lying as he sat there with what was described in reports as a stern, almost confrontational stare. What had Dilcia disclosed? What had she planned to tell her mom, sitting with the school counselor, 
on the very day she had been murdered. Many of Dilcia's friends and the boy Raul had caught in her bedroom and physically assaulted when he had found him, which is besides the point, but many of Dilcia's friends told the same story. It went something like this. After Raul had caught the boy in Dilcia's room, he later asked her, You will do anything for him. To which Dilcia responded, Yes. And then Raul asked for 15 minutes, in a way that Dilcia believed he was asking her to have sex with him. She then told him that wasn't her job and stated something along the lines of, That's why you married your wife. Dilcia also confided in friends that she was uncomfortable with the way her stepfather always tried to touch her waist. And her friends were uncomfortable with her stepfather too. According to police reports, her friends told Dilcia about times Raul Mata had sent them unsettling messages in chat rooms online. One of the girls was in middle school when it had occurred. Her screen name made reference to the fact that she was from Brazil, to which Mata commented, I hear Brazil girls have nice bodies and dress nice. You must have a nice body. On other occasions, it appears Mata pretended to be Dilcia. Raul Mata also purchased a phone for Dilcia that he did not tell her mother about. Another friend told investigators that at one point, Dilcia told him that her stepfather had snuck into her room at night and tried to do things to her, but that she had stopped him. Was that why Dilcia locked her bedroom door? I mean, Raul Mata himself pointed out how odd it was that a 16-year-old felt it necessary to lock her bedroom door at night. Was she protecting herself from him? After Dilcia told her friends about how uncomfortable her stepfather made her, they had told her to talk to the school counselor. And Dilcia had. That meeting was scheduled with the counselor and her mom so that she could tell her mom how she felt and why she felt the way she did. Not once had the school asked Raul Mata to be present for that meeting as he had claimed. It was quite the opposite. But as we know, Dilcia never made it to that meeting. As detectives interviewed Raul, in a separate room Dilcia's mother was told why her daughter had called that meeting with her and the school counselor. It was no meeting about any assignment or any trouble Dilcia had been in. The story about it being because she had written something inappropriate in an assignment was a ruse to get her mother into that office so she could tell her everything. After Dilcia's mother learned the whole truth, investigators escorted her into the interview room where Raul Mata sat, and she confronted him, asking, did you kill my daughter? After a long pause, Raul stated no, and for the first time throughout his interview-turned-interrogation, he cried. But from that moment on, Dilcia's mother believed her husband had murdered her daughter. She divorced Raul Mata, and everyone began to pick up the pieces of their shattered lives. Investigators had a strong suspicion that Raul was responsible but they felt they didn't have enough evidence to prove it. Raul packed up and moved to California and began a whole new life, eventually remarrying, having a child with his new wife, and working as a nurse at an ER department in a hospital. 
He went on about his life like nothing happened for 16 years. That was until Dilcia's case was assigned to a cold case investigator for a second look. A lot of advancements in DNA and forensic science had been made over those 16 years. On September 21st of 2020, almost 16 years to the day Dilcia had been murdered, detectives from Miami traveled to Watsonville, California and arrested Raul Mata for the first-degree murder of Dilcia Mija. But how were they so sure now, after all this time? Remember those scratches and bruises Raul Mata claimed he got when he had fallen into the dresser? I'm guessing you've already figured out that that was bullshit. And you're right, because DNA that had been collected from underneath Dilcia's fingernails came back as a match to her stepfather, Raul. The evidence had been there the whole time. It's just that the technology wasn't. Sure, there was DNA technology in 2004, but it required a much larger sample. 16 years later, forensic scientists can get a full profile from a much smaller sample of DNA, and that's exactly what they had done. In life, Dilcia had tried to protect herself from Raul Mata, and even in her final moments, she fought back, taking the evidence that would be used to tell the world who had done this to her. After news of Raul's arrest broke, the people he knew in California were shocked. I mean, for nearly 16 years, they had known him as a nurse who saved lives, not a predator or a cold-blooded murderer. His new wife spoke to Action News and stated, I'm aware of his past and there's never been a doubt in my mind about his character and he's a thousand percent innocent. He's been a nurse in our community for the past 15 years, saving lives in the emergency room. He's an incredible person and he doesn't deserve this. The truth will prevail. Oh, and did it ever. While his wife may have been convinced of his innocence, the Miami Herald reported that detectives said as they spoke with Mata and laid out the evidence against him, his demeanor changed. Members of Dilcia's family spoke out at a press conference announcing his arrest. Her cousin, Trinidad Gonzalez, stated, As a family, we were always sure Raul Mata was responsible for her death. She went on to say, It's been horrific and no family should be able to go through this. It's just the biggest relief that our family has had. It's like a huge burden lifted from our shoulders. I am left speechless and I'm glad that Raul Mata can face the consequences of his gruesome actions that he did 16 years ago. But like a true coward, Raul Mata would never face those consequences. He couldn't even own up to what he had done. According to the Santa Cruz Sentinel, a week after his arrest, while he was being held in a California jail, Awaiting extradition back to Miami, Mata stabbed himself in the left groin with a pen, partially severing his femoral artery. A corrections officer found him bleeding out during a routine check. He was transported to a nearby hospital where he later died. With Raul dead, investigators had no choice but to officially close Dilcia's case. 
Dilcia had just turned 16. She had her whole life ahead of her. She wanted to travel the world, see new things, and had a very special bond with her dog Rocco. One of her aunts spoke to the Miami Beach Herald and said Dilcia loved watching TV shows about police and had dreams of becoming a detective one day. And in the most tragic way, she did. Dilcia had led police straight back to her killer. Had it not been for her fighting back, detectives likely would have never had enough evidence to charge Raul Mata, and he would probably still be living his life in California. But Dilcia fought back. May she forever be remembered for her bravery. If you suspect a child or teen in your life is being abused or at risk of being abused, call the National Child Abuse Hotline. Resources are available in the U.S. 24-7 at 1-800-4-A-CHILD. That's 1-800-422-4453. Or you can also connect online at childhelp.org. As always, you can find more information on this case on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. I'll be bringing you an all new episode next Thursday. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. You can finally get all your episodes ad free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.